1: Love, talk Radio. Welcome to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
2: And welcome to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us today, May 20th, 2014, and I'm coming to you live from the global headquarters of CAF America, international organization dedicated to helping nonprofits around the world connect with donors corporations foundations and individuals in the united states and throughout north america today we've got a really big show for you've we got uh, lots of news in page one news as the announcer said you can call in when we get to our page two expert who is today terry temkin by calling three four seven three two four three zero eight zero just press number one that will highlight your hand uh, on my switchboard, and that will let me know if you'd like to ask a question. You can also join us over in the chat room, and if you're super shy, you can email me your questions today at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. You can follow along on page one news by going to tedhart.com, click on radio links. You'll not only find all the links for today's show, but all of our archives going back the last couple of years of our show. First up here in the radio links, you will find a really terrific downloadable ebook coming to us from mobile cause and this is how to implement an effective recurring gift strategy in 2014 you can find that link in the radio links and download that terrific book um, and this is uh, a free resource that they claim will help you Double Your Donations. Uh, Next up here on uh, The Nonprofit Coach, again, you'll find over in the radio links today, a a, um, uh, breakdown on the biggest Facebook mistake most nonprofits make. Uh, As you go through um, this uh, report, what you'll find is um, breaking down how you can use Facebook and making sure that you are not making uh, some of the big mistakes over on Facebook, trying to help you out today over in the radio links at Tedhart.com. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach Each Month, it is my pleasure uh, to welcome Eva Aldrich here from CFRE International. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Coach, Eva. Eva, how are you?
0: I am doing well, Ted. How are you?
2: Good. Terrific. Uh, Great to have you back here on the Nonprofit Coach as uh, we do each month. We have a CFRE Minute. We have a link to CFRE.org in the radio links today. Tell us what's new. Eva, you're breaking up just a little bit. I don't know if you're on a cell phone or not. If you are, you may want to call us back. So I'll just watch the switchboard, and hopefully Eva Eldritch will be able to join us today here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, sorry about the technical difficulties there. Hopefully we'll hear back from Eva before the show is over. Um, it's my pleasure to uh, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, John Mercott. Uh, John is uh, with uh, a company that was formerly known as Karma Four One One and has been a frequent guest here on the Nonprofit Coach. But they've got some big news uh, over at Karma Four One One. Welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, John Mercott. Hi, Ted. Good to be with you. Hey, John. Great to uh, to have you. Now, sort of some big moves. Uh, for your company
3: tell us what's going on and and why? Yeah, sure so uh, karma 411 uh, had been focused uh, solely on the nonprofit space for over three years We did crowdfunding uh, we did what we call event engagement so leveraging peer-to-peer tools for uh, Getting people to events and it was a terrific uh, experience And we absolutely love it and we continue to work with large nonprofits like autism speaks and American Heart Association Uh, and those types of uh, organizations. But about a year and a half ago, we picked up a large project for Major League Baseball, and they were looking for these types of social fundraising, social engagement, and event engagement tools, but not necessarily for fundraising. They were just looking to get some uh, more people to events that they were putting together, and it opened our eyes to say the experience that we had in the nonprofit space could work well in the corporate space and at that time we had a major product release and the product was called Crowdster so the company was called Karma 411 the product was called Crowdster and we got a lot of feedback on the product itself you know just its features and usability but also a lot of people like the name so two things happened: we said well we're getting some traction here with corporate and for-profit clients and we have this great platform this great technology called Crowdster Why don't we rebrand the organization and call the company Crowdster? And number two, go after, if you will, more corporate uh, uh, for-profit businesses while still maintaining the nonprofit business. So we're just expanding to new industries. Well, this is
2: terrific. And, of course, um, one of the the big uh, stories in the online space has been crowdfunding. Uh, So it seems that as the market has grown and changed, so has now the new Crowdster.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, leveraging the power of the crowd, you're right, is uh, valuable in a lot of different industries and for a lot of different things. So fundraising is definitely one of them, and that's still the core uh, driver. But also there's a lot of money that organizations spend on events, and, you know, that includes nonprofits. So the best way to make sure that an organization gets a return on that investment is to make sure they can get a lot of people to uh, the event itself. So that event engagement component of our platform is critical you know you're leveraging peer-to-peer you're basically as we say you're turning your attendees into promoters and if you're spending a large amount of money for this big uh, conference or whatever this event is uh, it's a worthwhile uh, investment
2: exactly and uh, we do have a link over in the radio links today to crowdster.com and when you go to the website it's going to be very clear The CrowdStir is sort of uh, beyond the Donate Now button on steroids uh, because there's so much um, that that ties into this notion
3: of helping the crowd connect. Right. And just one of those quick things, uh, Ted, is uh, how even you're leveraging this uh, peer-to-peer network, how do you provide incentives and how do you do gamification? So we've done some very exciting projects for companies like DirecTV which is a very playful kind of organization. They love uh, gamification as a concept. So if you can combine those two things, number one, turn those attendees into promoters through a peer-to-peer platform, but also incentivize them. So kind of incorporate gamification in the process. uh, That's a very powerful combination. It sure is. You
2: can uh, find all the information over at Crowdster.com. You can find that link in the radio links today. Uh, John Murcott, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you'll come back often and uh, help us uh, keep our audience apprised of what's happening in the crowdfunding space. Great. Thanks, Ted. Have a good show. You bet. And uh, back with us, Ava uh, Aldrich is here. Ava, sorry for the uh, technical difficulties, but we're really looking forward to the updates from CFRE International.
0: Well, it's good to be here. Uh, again, so sorry if right, the glitch was on our side. But uh, anyway, I am very happy to be able to let um, everyone who's listening know that we are going to have a new staff member here at CFRE. Oh, terrific. We are Yes, we have added a position for marketing and membership uh, director, and I think that what people are going to see with that you know our certificates will be uh, able to have much more consistent and more regular communication with us uh and also you know the c f r e is going to be more visible, and I think that's good you know not only for you know growing the credential but also you know what we want to do is is help get the word out about c f r e so that way our certificates you know when people ask them what does that mean um you know, people are better informed because uh, getting the CFRE, as you know, Ted, is a point of pride, and, and we want to make certain sure that people understand just exactly what that accomplishment means.
2: Well, and it seems uh, clear as you're seeing things, as I'm seeing things online and conversations and postings online, that uh, what's happening is that beyond certification is uh, now the recognition of the profession uh, connected to CFRE. And so I I think that, um, and now you've got this terrific new website, and and, and not to say that, you know, that defines you, but uh, the old website did make it seem that it was not quite an up-to-date organization, and now you've moved beyond that with this terrific new website.
0: Yes, I agree. The old website really did not reflect the vibrancy of the credential or our community of CFREs, and also, too, it just didn't have a number of the features that people expect. I know one of the things that we've been hearing from people that they really appreciate with the new system uh, on our website is that now when they log into their accounts, they can check the status of their applications, both for initial and for recertification. And it's a great place to just go in and check when your recertification is due, uh, update information, and just be able to keep current. So we're really hoping that that, uh, again, is is something that will make people's lives easier because people do have fluid uh, lives and career paths. And so we want to make certain we're there with them along every step of the way.
2: Now, Ava, um, we're um, getting ready to go on summer hiatus here for the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, so next month uh, we'll be back with uh, the very important annual show with uh, the Giving USA announcement on June 17th. Uh, what are the big plans for CFRE between now and the fall?
0: Well, we're going to be doing some more work with our international presence. In fact, during that uh, week uh, that you mentioned, Ted, I will be um, presenting on uh, fundraising as an international profession at the Institute for Development Professionals and Education in the United Kingdom. Uh, We're also going to be gearing up for a very busy fall season uh, with... uh, Presence at the International Fundraising Conference, the Association of Healthcare Philanthropy, uh, the AFP Leadership Academy. So I think those are some of the places where people can come and talk to us live. Um, The other thing is, by the end of the second quarter, we will be distributing our uh, annual report, so I would encourage our certificates to be looking for that, Uh, and anyone can always access our annual reports at our website at www.cfre.org.
2: Terrific. We do have a link to CFRE.org over in the radio links today. Uh, Eva Aldrich, thank you so much uh, for joining us here uh, this month with the updates. and We look forward to you coming uh, back uh, each month and, in particular, uh, sharing the details of your annual report when that is ready. Uh, that's been Eva Aldrich from CFRE. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you, Ted. Have a great summer.
2: Yes, you too uh, and uh we're back here on page one news just wrapping up here. Uh, we've got sort of back to back um uh information for you here uh one over in the radio links you'll find from Google a video tutorial on the basics of Google Analytics. And, of course, we talk about the importance of Google uh, in the six pillars of success for online nonprofit organizations. If you're just getting started and not all that familiar with how Google Analytics works, it's extremely important to the future of your organization. So you can click in the radio links today, the information, uh, and watch the video from Google on Google Analytics Basics. Uh, but if you've moved beyond the basics, if you understand that, you're looking for the next generation uh, beyond the basics, we also have a link over the radio links for you today from More Visibility. More Visibility has a webinar. Uh, and that's coming up on Wednesday, June 4th at 1 p.m. Happy to um, help promote this. It's a terrific group over at More Visibility, Uh, and that is Google Analytics Beyond the Basics. You can register online, uh, and then afterwards, they're going to be making that webinar available on demand as well. So you can register either for the live training on June 4th or just let them know that uh, you'd like to have the on demand afterwards. So you'll find that link over in the radio links today at Uh, TedHart.com. It's my pleasure uh, to bring Linda Lysakowski back here on Page 1 News. And this is going to be sort of a a dual appointment for Linda because she's going to sort of end uh, Page 1 with a little bit of an update uh, from uh, her book series at uh, Charity Channel. She's going to stay on uh, over the uh, uh, the beginning of as we turn the page to page two, and also help us with the official introduction of Terry Temkin, uh, our page two expert today. So welcome back here to the nonprofit coach, Linda Lysakowski.
4: Thanks so much, Ted. It's great to be back here in in kind of this dual role. Usually I'm on as a as a guest, but today I'm really excited to be on to introduce the new um, Charity Channel Press series that we're doing with TED show. And many of you are probably members of the Charity Channel community. We've been around since 1992, which seems like forever ago. But about four years ago, we launched Charity Channel Press, and we're now the fastest-growing publisher in the nonprofit sector, and we've published a number of books over that time. But one of the most successful books that we've published is Terry Temkin's book, and I'm so excited to have her be the first guest on our Charity Channel Press series. You'll be hearing from more of our authors in the future. But Terry is a friend of mine, and I've known her for for so long, it seems... um, like forever, but it's it's really probably only been about five or six years. But Dr. Terry Temkin is the founding principal of Core Strategies for Nonprofits Incorporated. It's an international consulting firm that builds organizational infrastructure. She's an award-winning speaker and right now, an engaged
2: group ju- just facilitator. Just jump in here Uh, before you start introducing Terry. I just want to wrap up our discussion of the In the Trenches series. This is an exciting opportunity for us to collaborate and uh, and work together in bringing uh, some of the top authors and uh, thinkers in the nonprofit sector. Uh, We do have a link in the radio links today uh, for um, the book series. Uh, We also um, have a promotion in our newsletter, uh, which you can also find at tedhart.com. So if you Stay right there, Linda. We're just going to jump on over, turn the page here to page two, uh, and then we'll be able to do the introduction of Terry Temkin, which you started off so well. I just want to make sure that we get it in the right segment here. So hold on one second. Page
4: to page is a little confusing. (laughs)
2: Uh, We'll be right back with page two. (laughs) Over here on page 2, we do have our page 2 expert today is Terry Temkin, and it's my honor to uh, welcome back here Linda Lysakowski uh, who is with us to do the formal introduction of Dr. Terry Temkin. Uh, so go right ahead, Linda.
4: Okay. Thanks so much, Ted. Te- As I said, Terry Temkin is founding principal of Core Strategies for Nonprofits, an international consulting firm that builds organizational infrastructure. She's an award-winning speaker and an engaging group facilitator who brings, and this is real hard to believe, but she brings close to 40 years of nonprofit management. And if, if you know Terry and her energy and her enthusiasm, it's hard to believe she's been around this field for 40 years, but she has. And Terry is considered by her colleagues as a thought leader in the area of governance. I know when I first joined the Charity Channel community, one of the first names that popped up was Terry Temkins, and I thought, boy, this woman really knows her stuff, and I've become more and more convinced of that as we've gone along. But Terry was one of the first ones to talk about strategic thinking as a governance function and the importance of expectations. She's a co-author of Community Engagement Governance, a new framework for governance that's gaining wide acceptance and the editor of and contributor to the recently released Governance Anthology, which she's here to talk to us about today, You and Your Nonprofit Board, New Thinking from the Field's Top Practitioners, Researchers, and Provocateurs. And it was uh, published by Charity Channel Press in 2013, and as I mentioned, is one of our best-selling books. She's a prolific writer, and her work can be found throughout the world, really, in books, journals, blogs, and her popular monthly column on nonprofits. Um, Believe it or not, she also finds time to serve in some volunteer roles. In fact, she's on the Dean's Advisory Council for the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University, and she serves as a panelist for the Carbonell Awards, South Florida's version of the Tony Awards. So I think uh, we'll be all looking forward to hearing a lot of good things from Terry, and I'm going to turn it back over to you, Ted, and to Terry.
2: Absolutely, and Linda, thank you for that terrific uh, introduction. Uh, Terry Temkin is here with us in her book is you and your nonprofit board, advice and practical tips from the field's top practitioners, researchers, and provocateurs. Uh, Welcome here, Terry Temkin.
5: Thank you so much, Ted. And, Linda, thank you for that great and very warm introduction. It is a mutual admiration society. I just have to point that out, too.
2: Well, and, and, and sometimes uh, you get a Mutual Admiration Society, and it's not warranted, uh, but this is a really terrific book that really breaks down one of the topics here on The Nonprofit Coach. We're now in our fourth year uh, of uh, this radio broadcast, and one of the topics that always gets highest rated is when we give advice on working with nonprofit boards of directors. So I'm, I'm going to start off actually with that question, and that is why are nonprofit boards such a mystery? Uh, for most uh, nonprofit executives?
5: Th- that's a really important question, Ted. I-, I believe it's because even though they've been around forever, nobody's really taught how to really be effective what their responsibilities are. Oh, yes, somebody might come in and do an hour and a half or three hours some Saturday morning and say, here are your roles and responsibilities. But the truth is, it's sort of like we've talked for years about managers. Good technicians are promoted into a management position and then expected to just know what to do. So they tend to do what they've seen others do. Well, we have that in the boardroom as well. We have people who may have sat on many boards, but they copy what they've seen done there, which I don't know where some of these things have come out from in the first place.
2: Well, and and that's one of the most important things, I think, for nonprofit executives to remember and maybe have uh, a little bit of sense of humor, or at least give uh, the board members a bit of a break, is that every board member uh, who has ever served brings baggage, which could be good or bad, exactly. um, and those who have never served, as you said, you're not born to be a good board member, you need to be trained.
5: Exactly, and it's really critical today because in the last five years we've seen things change so dramatically so even somebody who was very competent six years ago if they're still doing the same thing that they were doing then uh, it may not be serving the organization that well
2: so and we really have that down why why a five-year marker what what happened and and what's different about service on a board now
5: Well, things have always been evolving, but obviously after the economic crisis, organizations just could not continue operating the way that they had been operating. It wasn't just money that was lacking, although that, I think, brought everything to the fore. And it was the fact that we realized by taking a good look at what has been happening, I'm sure you know better than most the prolific growth of nonprofits every day. I mean, you probably get, I get almost weekly somebody calling, I want to start a nonprofit. Well, you know, have you looked into it? How many others? What do you want to do? I want to work with kids. How many zillions of organizations are out there working with kids? Uh, So what you have to do is distinguish yourself. And two, many of the problems that nonprofits formed to solve, we've realized, are just very pernicious, they they aren't going away. They're very difficult to treat. Uh, we might take something mm. like the like cancer mm. and the many, many organizations that try to work in that arena. It's not going away soon. Homelessness is another. Food insufficiency. I mean, we could go right down the list. And I think what we're finally realizing is that if we're going to be effective, our boards have to look at other ways of operating and directing their organizations. And I'm really going to stress that word direct because I have – Bought into what a colleague of mine and one of the contributors in the book, Pat Wisbinski has long said, is let's not call them members. First of all, of course, we have uh, in many organizations a legal designation of member that is oftentimes not your board people. And, th- and this um, is
3: this is
2: an important concept that you're bringing up because uh, organizations, of course, have articles of incorporation and they have bylaws and as I have lectured heavily in in uh, building a powerful board that can fundraise for uh, more than a couple of decades now um, the the topic of the bylaws is often a mystery and it's Ooh. always yeah. shocking to me that the board of directors has not even read the bylaws probably ever and if ever not for quite a while
5: exactly and 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 that is a whole other thing that I would love, you know, to, to talk about. Um, but I just want to, um, if I can, finish this one thought yes. that if we begin to call these people who serve in this important job directors, board directors, it's also not only a – designation that separates them from those organizations that have these members that are enumerated in the bylaws, but it reminds them each time they are named that they are there to direct. They are not just a member who comes in and sits in the meeting and then walks out again. So I I think it's really important to I, I come from a communication background, educationally speaking, and, and I know the words matter. Semantics make a difference. So it's something that I have uh, tried hard to, to book at, and I would just uh, finish the last portion of the conversation by saying that we're realizing that our directors have to direct, they have to give real Uh, solid thinking about directions to go, and that's not always been the case. It has been okay to allow years ago, it, it might have been okay, let's put it that way, it might have been okay to let the executive director slash CEO carry the ball. It's no longer the case.
2: Well, and it needs to be a, um, a a mutual approach to to governance because it also um, does not serve the organization to have the staff divorced from uh, issues of this sort.
5: Absolutely, I would I, I would agree a hundred percent. I think too, this is one of the other things that's changed. It used to be very clear. If you would read any of the old board books, it would say the executive director, CEO's job is this, and the board's job is that, and never the twain shall meet. And I think what we've really learned is that, first of all, of course, no uh, size fits all. And that's one of the things that I happen to love about book that uh, we put out is that it's not prescriptive. It's saying here are lots of things to choose from. And what we've really learned is that sometimes you'll have somebody on the board that's really, really skilled at a task or a job that traditionally the executive director CEO would handle. And the, the EDCO doesn't have those skills. So why not let the most skilled person do it? And, fight and,
2: and it really comes down to a, a notion of governance. Uh, and as you said, there are lots of different models, lots of different uh, variations to how your organization might be governed. Um, but it is not just simply a notion of uh, some people in the community showing up and having dinner. Uh, and the staff sort of, you know, giving them reports, and then they go home. Yes, we heard it. Right. Um, right. But what is the dialogue and the discussion? What decisions are being made? Um, what is the oversight of the staff function? Uh, and how engaged is the board in the operations of the organization while not stepping on the toes of management and micromanaging? And and that's right. a constant, I think, negotiation uh, between perhaps the chief executive and, and the board chair, but certainly the board and the staff. And over time, that that mix will change by very definition um, as the organization changes. Exactly. So where do you start with uh, a book of this sort? Um, I found it very interesting that you and your board um, puts the you first, Um, and put you, the you, as center. So who is the you?
5: (laughs) Well, in this case, we're really talking, I, I, I can't even say that. I was going to say the you is you as a board director, but the truth is we have a lot of articles in here that, are very applicable for the executive director. Uh, so sometimes that you is going to be the executive director CEO. It's really looking at it and saying there's something here in this book for everybody. It's, off, it's going to in some cases be a consultant. Mm-hmm. because the you, when you read some of the articles, for instance, uh, Mary Hyland has a couple about uh, board development that takes mm-hmm. in, you know, for years we've been looking at board development as just we understand what this means. And she actually did research. Do we really understand what it means? You know, how are we looking at this? What does it mean? Can we quantify it? Can we uh, operationalize it? And so for someone like a consultant, the you in that case might be the consultant who says, ah, oh, I know a, perhaps a better way to approach things because I've read these articles. So right. it, it's really pretty broad.
2: Well, and, and you know, as I, I was going through your book, which really is excellent, and I encourage everyone to um, to have a copy of, of this book. I almost sort of wanted to rewrite the subtitle to be "Good Habits of Great Board Members" um, because how I like that. how, how do you? Can we republish this? <laughs> <laughs> well, because it, because I my my struggle has always been, and I and I have always said that I have yet to meet a board member who truly wanted to destroy the organization that they were serving. Sure. Um, but in the absence of good training, uh, in the absence of good role models, um, board members, by the very nature of the fact that they do understand that they are supposed to be governing, whether they have the skill set or not, will make it up as they go along mm-hmm. um, because they naturally feel the obligation to do that. They said that they would serve. So without a place to go to say, how do I actually do this, oftentimes, and this is where I think the the real conflict for many, many organizations comes, uh, is the conflict comes in when board members don't get it right, but they're doing their best, and Mm -hmm. staff are really upset that board members didn't get it right, and they're doing their best. Uh, And the communication really falls down in the uh, center of the disappointment.
5: Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head, and this was a way that hopefully uh, we can open some dialogue. I mean, I've had readers write in and say, well, we're doing different things with it. Uh, Some say that they'll assign a chapter to a different director each meeting to talk about, Mm -hmm. uh, which then just exposes the entire board to different topics uh some have been looking at very specific chapters based on what they need at the time. And I, I think that it it is a way of providing some of that training that is so necessary on both sides.
2: Well, and I think, you know, it, it, I, in most cases, and we certainly hear it on this show a lot, is um, a lot of folks uh, who really just want someone to tell them how do I do this? Just tell me how to do it, um, and and I think that's why this is this is such an age-old question. Because if it were that simple to just say do it this way, it would have been right. solved a long time ago. Because everyone would be doing it the same way. And of course, there's lots of books out there that that, that purport to say. Um, that there is a way to do this, and you should just go do it this way. But but your book doesn't pretend to be a prescription pad. It, it presents itself as a recipe book. And I think exactly. that, that that really serves the industry really well because every board is made up of individuals. And while every board has similar duties, how mm-hmm. they go about that with their particular mix of staff, of budget, of needs, in crisis, out of crisis, planning for the future, wondering about if we have a tomorrow. Um, all of those things factor into how do you govern.
5: Exactly.
2: Now, I find and it very interesting. Yeah, go ahead.
5: Oh, no, I was just going to say, and this is exactly why we wanted to say, no rules, just right. You know, if I can borrow from back Steakhouse, <laughs> Uh, that here are some things. It's just like I have a personal bias about the concept of best practice. I I don't know that there's such a thing as best practice. I think there are some proven practices Mm -hmm. There are some promising practices that we can borrow from, experiment with, but I don't think there's something as a best practice. And that was something that I felt very strongly about when I was first approached to uh, compile this book and conceive of the concept. And it was important for me to say we can't come out and say this is the way to do it, or and we can't copy what's been done, because there are plenty of really wonderful books out there that are are already available.
2: Exactly, exactly. We're here uh, on the nonprofit coach today with Terry Temkin, uh, who is the editor of You and Your Nonprofit Board, which is part of the In the Trenches series from Charity Channel Press. We're going to be right back after a very short break. And when we come back, Terry, I wanted you uh, to please explain to me, because I found it so curious and interesting, that the subtitle of this book uh, includes Bringing Together Provocateurs. Uh, it's okay. not a word that we see very often, I, and I'm sure that you chose it very specifically, and I'd like to explore that when we come right back. Sure. I want to take a second to just uh, ask you to grab your calendar uh, and to make note of uh, some big uh, scheduling issues here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, each year the Giving USA report uses the Nonprofit Coach radio show as its radio outlet for the first look of the data and the information from the prior year on the annual report on philanthropy. They will be with us on June 17th which is the release date of the Giving USA 2014 report. However, that report is released at 11 a.m. and so our show will move to 11 a.m. as opposed to our traditional 12 noon time slot. So mark your calendar, June 17th right here. The officials from the Giving USA, the Giving Institute, will be with us. To release the annual report on philanthropy, we will then uh, go on summer break. Uh, so we will be on summer break from June 18th through September 15th. I hope all of you have great summer plans. I know I've got some I'm looking forward to, and that's a great time to catch up on not only the top 10 shows of all time here on the Nonprofit Coach, but a couple hundred podcasts. That if you haven't uh, read those, you can download those, put those on your iPod, iPhone, i pad whatever you uh, want to listen to us, or just bring us along uh, on the Internet. And you can find us at TedHeart.com and listen to all of the shows. And we're going to head right back over to Terry Temkin.
1: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at TedHeart.com. Click on Radio Links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And
2: we're back here with Terry Temkin. And, and Terry, within your book, you have, I think, about
1: 38 contributors.
2: Did you want to name out the provocateurs, or just tell us what that means?
5: (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll name a couple of them. And it was very important to me because I didn't want the same old, same old, was to get some people who have always challenged me, who have made me want to uh, look at things in a new light, who oftentimes say things that uh, eh, might... some teeth on edge, but in, on the other hand, really do make you stop and think. Well, you know, maybe I need to look at things differently. So, a, a couple of the people, um, Steve Bowman from Australia, is uh, one of my favorites. He is somebody that I've had the opportunity to work very closely with, both in the U.S. and in Australia, and he always forces me to take a different look at things.
2: And he has, he has, how does he force you to or challenge you to think differently? What does he bring to the table that is uh, provocative, but curious enough and interesting enough to make it into your book?
5: He has what I think is probably the very best definition of uh, governance that I've ever seen and it's interesting. I, I kind of collect them. I governance person for the last 20 years doing nothing else but that. Uh, I really find that his is the definition I've seen and it's it's a very different uh, thing from most uh, because you know he really talks about things like if, if we look at fiduciary oversight, as he says in the book, yawn. Uh, Risk management, strategy development, slightly less yawning. Uh, So control of the staff and resources, Uh, Shudder. You know, he just takes things from a slightly uh, different look. So, you know, he talks about uh, governance as being the ability to make the choices that create the future for the communities we serve. And I don't think most people look at things that way.
2: I don't think they do either, and I think that what that speaks to is how overwhelming service on a board of directors can be uh, if it's not properly organized.
5: True. True. And and that's part of it. But, you know, to me, Ted, that's one of the most exciting things. Because if we are responsible for, let's say, the fiduciary oversight, that means that the majority of our meetings are going to be reports about where we are and maybe a little bit of discussion about where we should be or a little bit of finger-shaking about things that don't seem to be working the way they should be working, but very little real conversation about substantive issues. And if we're talking about making the choices that create the future for the communities we serve, then that's discussion. That's an interaction about real issues. Well, and, I think, and that's it's exciting.
2: Well, it is, but I also think that you bring up a topic that – Um, is absolutely uh, paralyzing to so many organizations, Um, and that is um, the history of the organization may belie the fact that there should be a dialogue and a discussion. Um, I can't tell you, and I'm sure you've had this experience because you've got so much experience with governance, how many nonprofit organizations I've provided counsel to, board retreats, board training, board strategy, um, where the board has this notion that they can't talk about certain things or they shouldn't talk about certain things. Um, I actually even had a training once where um, the board of directors told me that they had been informed, if you can believe this, by the executive director uh, that they could not fire the executive director, and they believed the executive <laughs> director that, that that person could not be fired. And uh, so in the middle of the retreat... That's a um, good gig. It was a good gig, Exactly. Um, And so in the middle of the the retreat, I sort of called a timeout and asked the executive director to please go home um, so that I could have a conversation with the board, because clearly the board uh, was very much um, executive director-driven, and that happens a lot, particularly when there's turnover in the board of directors, but not a turnover in the leadership on the staff side. The balance of power shifts. Towards the staff, and the if you have board members who have been brought in who are new, untrained, without experience as serving as a board member, it becomes easier than you think to pull the wool over the eyes of a board.
5: Exactly. Well, if it's know, deliberate, if one... if,
2: it, if if it's deliberate, if that that's what the plan is of someone who's been around maybe too long.
5: Well, and frankly, I see a lot of it that's not deliberate, it's, and it's very subtle. It's the, well, you know, they're only volunteers. How much can I really expect of them? And so that ED CEO will do things on a very subconscious basis in many cases that cues the directors that, you know what, you really don't have to do anything. Come to the meetings. I'll be happy. And then that ED CEO says, "But I don't have engaged board members." And <laughs> you I know, re- it's circular. Is really
1: kind it of it really funny. is
2: circular because you know it, it's you know it's far too easy to over time dumb down a board by recruiting folks who are not going to ask a lot of questions. Exactly. Um, and at the same time, for the board to be left wondering, what is our real role?
5: Well, and to me, when any ever anybody asks me, I say the number one job of a director, and this is just in Terry Temkin's opinion, but to me, the number one job is to challenge, to push back, to ask questions. I, I, I think that's critical, and oftentimes, what I'll tell clients is. Create a list of questions, and I, I have some that I'll give to our clients that uh, it, I think they're even up on our website, but uh, as samples to say, uh, take a, an or, make an organizational skeptic for the day. Uh, pick somebody different every time and give this list to them. You know, most organizations do have that organizational skeptic. The problem is that nobody wants to hear from them. The Mm -hmm. minute that person opens their mouth, you see people's eyes start to roll. You see them start to look at their watches. And what I've found over the years in this field is that 99.9% of the time, down the road, the kinds of questions and challenges that this individual raised, had people listened to, they wouldn't have had some of the problems they end up having. But it's the fact that it's always that same voice and people can't stand it anymore. So what I say is share the wealth. And if you make a different person that organizational skeptic every time, uh, and their job is to ask these questions, pretty soon it becomes the culture of the organization. Mm-hmm. This is and I also job.
2: think that there, there is a lot of value in working towards building a team effort, um, because I think you know when there is um, the creation of mistrust between the, the chief executive and the board, Um, or lack of communication which oftentimes I find that it starts boiling down to a lack of transparency that the the chief executive feels that the board um, is either not listening not engaged or not engaged in a dialogue and therefore they're sort of left by themselves Um, or the board feels that the chief executive is not being forthcoming, is not being transparent, and they're left trying to figure out how the organization is being run without stepping back and saying, listen, the only way we succeed is if we work together.
5: Exactly. So how do you break
2: through that? Because that is a topic that comes up so often here on this show that we explore so many times here on this show. How do you restart if you have a less than perfect and hopefully not but sometimes acrimonious relationship between the board and the chief executive.
5: Well, you know, Mary Highland wrote a couple articles in here about trust and again very research based but very accessible uh her writing is is very uh light and 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 fun but uh she bases it on as i say research. She talks a lot about trust and and how you can build that and one of the things that she found is that those groups that really have been able to break through the acrimony or who have built the trust share on a personal level well beyond what uh, is typically considered appropriate for a business relationship. So, you know, that is one way. Uh, another way is to really just sit down and have a really candid conversation about the fact that, look, we're all here because we want to make a difference. We're all here I hope, because we believe in the mission and we want to see our vision realized. And we need to do things differently. What we're doing isn't working. And we're on the same team. Let's, let's work toward that. I think, too, we have to be very strategic about who we move up in the organization Unfortunately, all too often, and I see this happen all the time, I'm sure you do too, Ted, I'm sure half your listening audience does, is that you have somebody very smart come into the organization and within six months they're slotted as the next board chair.
2: Right, Or, or even worse, someone is recruited onto the board as board chair. Um, so there, there's there's yeah. no one who's been trained. There's no ramp up, not even six months. Um, but, you know, no one's willing to step up, so we just go out and we find someone who knows right. nothing about the organization to just be board chair, as if they were simply interchangeable.
5: Well, and I'll tell you, in my work in Australia, they're actually uh, – they're – Getting board chairs for hire in some cases, but okay. we won't go there. We'll, we'll talk about here for now and just uh, uh, deal with the subject you're talking about. And and I think that it's really important to realize that when somebody steps in like that, it's not only that. They don't have the history of the organization. They don't necessarily understand the culture of the organization. They don't necessarily have the ins and the outs and really understand what they can do and shouldn't do and so on and so forth. But a lot of times these people come in and you see one face shall i say uh in that first six months or whatever period of time it is and then all of a sudden when they come into that power position it's like who did we bring on here (laughs) you know it's like a totally different person and i think that's too where a lot of times you get this um real antagonism between the board chair and the ED CEO because uh, things aren't working out as smoothly as they thought they would.
2: Mm-hmm. Well and I think in my experience has been where a lot of that disconnect comes from is you go out and you recruit someone who is very successful in business, uh, someone who is a community leader so for all the mm-hmm. right reasons you're reaching out to someone um, who is able to create success. Recruit them yeah. onto the board, and then for some reason, because I, and I think the reason is, is that we don't clearly articulate why these people were recruited. Um, they're they're almost recruited as if they were just a body, just filling a seat. Mm-hmm. Um, is that board members come and they stop remembering? That they have management skills, that they stop remembering sure. that they have community uh, development skills. So that all the reasons why we develop them, they then put on their nonprofit board hat, whatever that means. And what it typically means is, I now make decisions I would never make in my own organizations. I now argue exactly. for positions that I would never hold myself, but because it's nonprofit, I feel it's different. And you don't want it to be different. You you recruited these people to bring all their smart expertise, and for some reason it doesn't always translate.
5: Well, and that's so true, and, and in fact, uh, it's interesting, in Linda's introduction, she talked about this column that I write, which is uh, on nonprofits, it's a Q Q&A, and that was the most recent uh, one, it was about all the meetings that happen in the parking lot after the meetings okay. in the boardroom. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and and it's because all of a sudden they walk out of the boardroom and and they become themselves again. And I they become
2: say, themselves again know? and now they're seeing it for the clarity that you had hoped that they had just had in the boardroom.
5: Right. And so it really is important uh, that we encourage, and that's why I go back to what do I see as the most important thing, is that questioning, challenging, and so on and so forth. Uh, You you had asked about provocateurs. Uh, Brian Heyman, who's Canadian, we we have a very uh, international group in this uh, book, uh, talks about, you know, this very issue, and he, he is a provocateur of the, you know, uh, to the power of whatever you know my math isn't very good but <laughs> whatever <laughs> <a big power. laughs> uh, and, and he talks about this issue it's really important it's really important
2: yeah well i almost feel like your your next book should you know should be some, something on the order of how to be yourself and still serve on a board um, because Ooh, it, I like it, that it just It just seems that there are so many wonderful skills and so many terrific people who can bring those skills to board um, but th- i don't I, I almost feel like there is a sense, and we 're almost our own worst enemy within the nonprofit sector that because we live and breathe this stuff. We know how nonprofits are supposed to run. We know what nonprofit um, uh, budgeting looks like. We know what oversight looks like. That when we bring someone on the board, we feel like they're kind of like us and that they're bringing that same sort of base so that when we're sitting there discussing something about nonprofit management, well, everyone's just on the same page. And they're just really not. Because just the very basic knowledge of what is a nonprofit, why is it nonprofit, not for-profit, what is the expectation for community service, those basic pieces are really almost largely unknown in the for-profit sector. So if you've grown up in the for-profit sector and never really served as a staff member or a board member with nonprofit, you don't bring those skills with you.
5: Well, that's certainly true, Uh, but I also think that the way we tend to run a lot of our meetings, even today, even though we've been saying get rid of the reports, they make a board board, Mm -hmm. uh, I still see the same... Outline of an agenda, the the minutes and the new. Oh, they may do a consent agenda, so by name only, uh, and then it's the new business and the old business and all of this.
2: Well, then you Why have the, then you st- have the concern with the the consent agenda is. Does everybody at the table know what that is and how it works? And then, as you said, then they can then they go forward and start discussing all the items in the consent agenda exactly. as, as if it never existed. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well,
5: it's true, true, and and you know, but but I would reverse that whole thing out, and I would start with the most important substantive issue and plan on the bulk of the meeting being real discussion, utilizing these bright, dynamic people that we've worked so hard to break on. It, but we do it backwards.
2: We do it backwards. I, I have, to, uh, have to say, Terry, um, this is absolutely fascinating. The book is terrific. I encourage everyone. Thank you. Uh, We have a link over in the radio links today to um, the series Uh, where they can find a copy of you and your nonprofit board advice and practical tips from the field's top practitioners, researchers, and provocateurs. Will you please, um, in the two minutes that we have remaining, uh, just let folks know how they can reach you uh, and any last closing remarks about the book?
5: Sure. Thanks so much again. Uh, I can be reached at uh, Terry Temkin at Core strategies for nonprofits.com. The four is the numerical four. Terry is, well, you've got all the information on your website. They can check that out. Or they can contact me. My direct line is 954-985-9489. They can check out our website, which is strategies for nonprofits.com, again, numerical four, and we have a ton of resources available for free there. And in terms of uh, the book and some last-minute things, I, I have to say I'm very proud of this because of the fact that, as, as one of the uh, reviewers said, you know, I said I'd read it, but I hate anthologies. They tend to be very uneven. Uh, the authors were incredibly gracious. They allowed the editors, including me, uh, to really make it sound like it's it's of one piece. It is accessible.
2: It's fun to read. It does flow. It does bring it together. I'm going to have to say goodbye again, Terry Temkin. Thank you so much. This is going to be an awesome, uh, well-listened uh, podcast, and I hope that you'll come back uh, and join us again real soon. I
5: would love to, Ted. Thanks Everyone, so much. don't
2: forget to join us on June 17th uh, for the Big Giving USA report here on the Nonprofit Coach.
1: You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?